And you may be seated. If you would, join with me in prayer. Father, we come before you with our meager offerings this morning. And we thank you that you receive them and consecrate them by our union with Christ. By the blessed blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, as well that you would consecrate us this morning. Make us fit for service in your kingdom. Make us worthy of your many graces. I pray, Father, that as we go through the text of Scripture, you would help each individual here and the families represented to think in their minds of how you would have them apply these particular truths. That no one here would leave unchanged and unchallenged and uncomforted by your word. We pray that you would do this by your spirit and your word. In Jesus Christ's name, and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. Well, it sure is nice to be able to sing God's words, Psalm 37, which we'll be looking at in our sermon this morning. But I, I, just, I just wanted to say before we start, it is such a privilege for us to be able to sing God's words. He gave us a songbook, and it is wonderful that we actually get to sing his songs, but it did strike me, and maybe it strikes you as well, how different Jesus's or God's songs are from modern evangelical songs. Um, when we read, when we sang Psalm 37, wasn't it a little striking at how many evildoers are punished? You just don't hear that on Caleb too often, do you? Um, it just goes to show you how far we've, we've fallen in the American church and, uh, and what we need to recover and uh, I just, I really think we are blessed to be able to sing the Psalms. And I really think over the generations, it will shape our worldviews and make them much more biblical. Amen? All right. Well, just a little review before we read our text this morning. We are continuing with a series entitled The Pursuit of Happiness. How to be happy on the inside. How to have a life of abundant joy and to experience in your own life the, the blessings of your union with Jesus Christ. And we saw in our first sermon in the series that it is those who are poor in spirit, who are driven to Christ, who is the source of happiness. And then walking with Christ for the rest of your life, you come to see your sins more and more, and you repent of them, mourning over your sins. And what does Jesus do in response? He comforts you, and that surely is happiness. Amen? Well, today we're going to see the heart of happiness. What is a heart of a person that is happy? What is that heart characterized by? And the answer is meekness. A person with a meek heart, meek before the Lord and meek to the Lord, is a person who can enjoy in their life true delight and exultation and happiness and joy. Do you want to be happy? Do you want Christ Church to be happy? How can we who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ be dull and dour? No, we're telling people to follow Jesus and to follow his way of life. We should be happy. Why would they want to follow if we're not even happy, right? But, yeah, but are you as an individual a happy person? I mean, really ask yourself this question this morning. Am I happy or am I characterized generally by murmuring and complaining? And bitterness, and grumpiness, and irritability, and touchiness. Right. Is your life dour, or do you 
Feel happy that Jesus saved you and you get to walk with him every day doing his will. Right? You should be happy. You should be able to leap for joy, as Jesus says. Even when people persecute you, he says, leap for joy. How much more when things are going great? Amen? I hope you want to be a happy person. I really hope, and I'm afraid that sometimes we hear sermons and we don't actually take them seriously. I really am preaching this series, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, want us to be happier. I don't want our church to be the same as it was before the sermon series. Amen? We want the Word of God to do its work. And, um, and I think He has, and I think He's going to continue to do that. So, but if you're not happy, if you are um, complaining, waning, irritable, dour, sour, um, if you have... Nah, I won't say that. If you're like a lot of religious people and you're just crotchety and unpleasant to be around, it might be because you're not meek. And so we need to learn what it means to be meek. Amen? All right. To the extent that you cultivate and have been blessed by God with a heart of meekness, you can be happy even in the worst of situations. So what does it mean to be meek? Well, we got to read the verse. Sorry, we got to read the verse here. Starting at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed. Now, we said that that can be translated happy, and it's referring not only to objective status of blessing, which we all have as Christians, but it's also referring to a subjective experience of that blessing in your own heart, a delight, a joy, a happiness. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And here's our verse for today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's continue reading just for the context. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! See, that's something from the inside. And be glad. We know what it looks like to be glad. We should be a merry, happy, glad people. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen? All right, so what does it mean to be meek? The meek are happy. But what does it mean to be meek? Well, there's no equivalent English word for meekness. That makes it difficult. That makes my job difficult when there is not an English word that really captures the essence of the particular Greek word. If you looked up the synonyms of meekness, you would see gentleness, Timidity, shyness. I was watching the television yesterday and they used the word meek. And the way they used it is they meant mousy, pliable, weak. Someone possessing a rollover and play dead theology. It was, uh, and that is, that is not what meek means in the Bible. It doesn't mean that we are to be doormats to the spirit of the age. No, Christians are not to be compliant with the spirit of the age. We should be, when it, when it comes to the kingdom of Satan, we should be black sheep. We should be ostracized. We should be outed, marginalized. We should not fit in. We should not go with the flow. 
or go with the grain of the spirit of this age. We should be, you know, rigid when it comes to the spirit of the age. What does it mean to be meek? Does it mean pliable and shy and timid and mousy and right? a wallflower? Not at all. And the reason we know that is because Moses is referred to as the meekest man on earth. Moses. This is the very same man who stared down the, the tyrant God king Pharaoh and demanded that his people be set free. This is the same man who waged battle with the magicians and sorcerers of, of Pharaoh's um, court. His, his serpent swallowed up their little dragon serpents. This is the same man who met God up on the top of the mountain and walked down with the two tablets. You've seen the movie. That's not what we think of as mousy or meek. You know, that, that, he's no pushover. He's very strong and fierce and powerful. As he comes down off the mountain, the, he sees the idolatry of Aaron and the people of Israel, and he smashes the stones. I can assure you, if Moses were to do that today, people would be concerned. It's not what you say, Moses. It's how you're saying it. You know, it's your tone, really. I mean, how are we supposed to attract anyone to the church when you're smashing stone tablets everywhere? He had the idolaters drink a concoction of water and ground up golden calf. The meekest man on earth. So I just don't know how am I supposed to describe this for you. He's the meekest man on earth. Jesus was described as meek. He said, he said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and that you could come to him and he would give you rest for your souls because he was meek. Right. The word is also translated gentle, but it's the same Greek word. It's meek. So Jesus is meek. Yes, Jesus is meek. Whatever meek means, Jesus is perfectly meek and perfectly happy, I should add. Right? He came in on a donkey, the colt, a foal of a donkey. It's meek. It says he's meek. But then you know what he did right after that? He went into the temple courtyard and fashioned a whip. You can't bring weapons in. They got metal detectors and everything, right? TSA watching the gate. He goes in there. He looks around. He finds some materials. He makes his own whip. Right there, I assure you, he would be church disciplined in 95% of the churches in America, right? We're, we're, we frown on spanking our children, much, much less other adults. He fashions a whip, and he begins to drive the money changers out of the temple, do you think he raised his voice? <laughs> Do you think he was perhaps a little, a bit of a black sheep, you know, to the spirit of the age? Not very compliant. No, not very pliable. Certainly not possessing of a rollover and play dead theology. Now, Jesus was not only scourging them and whipping, he was scattering the coins. I could never do this. If God told me I need you to invade this public, very sacred space in the middle of an annual tradition and go against all cultural norms and all social niceties and grab people's bags of money and toss them around the room, I'm not sure I'm that meek. But Jesus was that meek. He was that meek. And then he flipped tables over. These are tables filled with pigeons and doves. There's sheep running and bleeding and birds flying around and scattering this was not what we think of as a weakling or a wimp. This is not, and just so we're very clear, this is not me at all encouraging pugnaciousness or um, a lack of social norms or behaving in a, in a 
parlor like you would in a bar. No, there's certain things that are seen and obscene, and there's certain behaviors that fit this place and not that place. I'm not calling us to be rude. I'm not calling us to be ogres. I'm not calling us to be um, children when it comes to tact and social norms. But what I am is calling us to be meek. Jesus was meek. Jesus condemned people to hell right in front of their faces in large open gatherings, the religious establishment. He spoke face-to-face with the most powerful man in his entire region and said, you would not have any authority over me if it had not been given to you by God. He spoke to the head of the entire religious establishment of his day, and he said, you will see me coming in the clouds with glory, which was, if you don't understand how to translate that, is a threat. It is an intimidating statement and warning of impending doom. This is not a mousy man. This is not a timid or shy person. But he was very meek. He was perfectly meek. He was perfectly meek. So what does it mean to be meek? Can't get a dictionary. Certainly can't go to the Urban Dictionary or or see how it's used in society today. That's not going to help us. We need, if we're going to define any biblical word, to go to other Bible passages, right? That's the most important hermeneutical rule. And it's called using the analogy of Scripture to define your terms. And so we go to the passage of Scripture, Psalm 37, that we just sang. And there the word meek is used. And it's actually the exact phrase that Jesus is quoting in Matthew chapter 5. So let me show it to you very clearly here. Psalm chapter 37, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land. Now we don't have time for this, but the land in the Old Testament is a type of the earth in the New Testament. And if you don't know what that means, keep listening to the sermons on Sermon Audio so you can come to understand what that means. But the meek inherit the earth. Heaven is not your final resting place. We all will go to heaven for a little while, but heaven is coming down to earth. Which is why we pray thy kingdom come. And we will, if we are meek, inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth and... Note this, this is one of the most important aspects of this whole sermon series that I want us to get. Delight. That's something on the inside. That's something on the inside. Christianity is all about actions and things on the outside. It's not less than that, but it's also about good actions and good behavior and leaps of joy bubbling up from the fountain of joy, which is your heart by the Holy Spirit. The meek delight themselves. And what do the meek get to enjoy? What gets to be on the menu for the meek? Abundant peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. Tranquility. Quietness. I like that. Do you enjoy abundant peace? Or is your life characterized by strife and contention contention and quarrelsomeness and, and brawling with your wife, with your husband, with your friends, with your church? You can enjoy abundant peace. Your family could be peaceful. If the husband and the wife would cultivate, by the power of the Spirit, meekness, whatever it means. Now, if we're going to understand this word meek, let's look at the other verses in chapter 37, Psalm 37. Because, see, Psalm 37 is about a person called the meek. The meek. It's a group of people. What are they known for? What are their characteristics? Look at verse 1 of Psalm 37. Right here. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. The meek are not compelled by fear. Fear doesn't drive them. They're not frantic. They're not erratic. They're not hasty. They're not running around worried about what all the evildoers are going to do, and that compels them not at all. They don't fret. 
They have chill. They're not living in worry. They're not up all night long about what the government is doing for them or the, the president is doing this and, and this person saying this about me. They don't fret. They don't fret. The meek don't fret. So that helps us to understand what it means to be meek. Look at verse 2. The meek also, they trust in the Lord. They don't trust in their own senses. They don't trust in tradition. They don't trust in their own personal experiences. They trust in the Lord and his revealed will. And they, because they follow the Lord, trusting that his way is the happy way and the good way, they do good. And they dwell in the land. They live long and they prosper in the land because they're trusting in the Lord. Look at verse 4. They delight in the Lord. What does it mean to be meek? Well, the meek, they trust in the Lord. They delight in the Lord. They don't fret. They're not compelled by their worries and their anxieties and fears. Verse 7, they are still before the Lord. And in verse 5, they commit their way to the Lord. They are yielded. They're yielded. They are submissive to the Lord. And they're still before the Lord. And when it's not the proper timing, they wait patiently for the Lord. They don't shake their fists at the Lord. They're not running around frantic and hectic, compelled by their, all their anxieties and fears. Right? They're still. They're calm. They're patient. They're ready for action. They trust in the Lord. They do good. Right? Look at uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Hopefully you're beginning to understand what it means to be meek a little bit more. Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Wouldn't you like that? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That is the word meek in Greek. And lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see here that Jesus is meek, and he invites you to come to him, to bow down your knees, and to lower your neck, and have him place upon you his light yoke. And in so doing, you will, over a period of time, learn what it means to be meek like him. So we could say this very clearly, that the meek are yoked. Do you know what a yoke is? It is a, an instrument that is placed on the back of an ox or two ox or a team of oxen. And with the slightest touch of the reins, the, the trainer or the master can guide them to the left or to the right or straight so that they might be fruitful and useful, carrying a massive burden or plowing a field. And after a period of time of being yoked by Jesus, it, don't worry. He's not going to break your spirit. He's not going to whip you to death, right? He's going to feed you by his hand and keep you in his stall at night. But there's going to be a little bit of work, a little bit of pleasure, and a little bit of persecution. And over a period of time, you can learn, oh, okay, oh, oh, go right? You want me to go right? Oh, do you, oh, you want me to go left? You want me to stop? You want me to go forward? You want me to carry this way? You learn to be meek. And he's perfectly meek. Amen? He, he wore the yoke of the Father, and it was not an easy or light yoke. It was a, the cross of Calvary. But he can teach you a little bit of that in this life over a period of time so that you can learn, okay, he's got me. We're doing this. I'm being used. I'm being helpful. I'm producing fruit. Wow, that was difficult, but I know this is where he took me. This is where he took me. You're learning meekness, and you're enjoying happiness. Do you understand what it means yet? Right? To be meek is to be yoked by Jesus and to daily walk under that light yoke 
getting an intuition of what he would have you to do in every situation, becoming attentive to his will and putting aside your will. You know, oxen can be stubborn. They have a will. But a meek ox submits and is attentive to and is ready to carry out the will of his master. And that's a happy ox. You want to be a happy ox? I sure do. Or you want to be a miserable buffalo? I don't know, whatever the opposite of a happy ox is. I want to be happy. Do you want to be kept in the stalls at night, protected from predators? Do you want to have your, your mane brushed and your hair brushed, get out all the cockaburls? Do you want to have your, your hooves trimmed? Do you want to be happy? you want to have rest? you want to have peace? Then submit to Jesus' laws. Learn of them. Delight in them. And let him guide you by his spirit here, there, wherever it might be. Job chapter 39, I think, really captures what, what, uh, what we're getting at here. Because you could get the sense, and this would be wrong because you'd be reading your, your English dictionary into the word. You could get the sense is what I mean is sort of like Eeyore on the Winnie the Pooh. I mean, he could carry a yoke, and, but he's not happy. He's miserable. His spirit has been beaten. I don't mean one of those kind of animals. You've seen mistreated animals. You can put a bridle on them. You can put a saddle on them. They can pull a, 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 a cart, but they're down. They're bony. They're scrawny. Their spirit has been broken so that they're not, maybe they're useful for doing a few things, but they're not useful for much. They're broken down. They're weak. They're miserable. They have a rollover and play dead theology. I'm not talking about that kind of an animal that cowers every time someone lifts a stick. No, that's not what it means to be trained by Jesus. No, to be trained and tamed by Jesus, you keep a ferocity. You keep your fierceness and you keep your strength and you keep your power because you're going to need it out there in the big bad world. Right? Look at Job chapter 39, verse 19. Great picture here. Do you, Job, give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Majesty. Do you make him leap like the locust? Agility. His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. Exults means to be satisfied and to enjoy his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. This is no pushover. This is no weak little pony. This is a war horse. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the war trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and the shouting. And he runs into battle. Arrows whizzing by his head. You think just any old horse can do that? A lot of horses are powerful, but they're not all trained. And it's only the powerful and trained that can charge into battle, laughing at fear, not startled by the trumpets. You want to be useful? You want to be fruitful? You want to make a difference in this world? You want to engage the enemy? You want to advance the kingdom? You want to see his kingdom expanded in Acadiana? We don't need mousy Christians. We need trained, tamed war horses with power and majesty and who are incredibly attuned to the will of the master in every single situation. That's what we need. That's what Jesus was perfectly, perfectly. And that's what Moses was more than any other human. But Moses wasn't perfect. 
You know the story when he exhibited a lack of meekness. You remember, Jesus said, speak to the rock. God said, speak to the rock. And that rock, you know what that rock would have done if, if Moses would have spoke to that rock? It would have poured out that water because rocks are meek. That's right. All a rock needs is God to whisper to it, pour out water, and that water comes out. Because they're meek. They don't question. They don't ask. They don't hesitate. They don't balk. They're not compelled by fears and anxieties. And what about my reputation? And what about my portfolio? And what about the future of this establishment that I've worked on for so many years? No, they're meek. Pour out water. It pours out water. Because they've been trained over a long period of time, about 6,500 years, just saying, right? (laughs) To do what God says to do. To do what God says to do. But Moses, in that moment, he wasn't being compelled by God's will, but his own fears and anxieties and frustrations. And he hit the rock three times. And he was punished for it. You know the story. Well, we should be like a rock in that case, not like the meek Moses there. But, you know, I... uh, I've ridden a horse a few times in my life, at least a dozen times probably, certainly no cowboy, um, but I've ridden a horse a few times. And, but I can tell you, none of the horses were like the horse described in Job. No. None of them were ready for war. They weren't even ready for a trail ride, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> they don't listen, they never listen to what I say unless I just completely manhandle them and verbally intimidate them. And even then, they're not listening. But you know what the horses that I've ridden on, there's two things that they listen to. One is the other horse in line. They know to follow the other horse. If that's where the horses are going, that's where that horse is going. They're ministers of the status quo. Hey, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, let's just keep things along this well-worn trail. Don't veer, don't veer. He's not listening to me. He's just listening to to the crowd, to peer pressure. Meek Christians are not pliable to peer pressure unless peer pressure is aligned with God, right? And, you know, the other thing that the horses always listen to is their bellies. Because if you're running away from the barn, it's very frustrating. They didn't want to run. They wanted to kick and buck and, and go under tree branches to take me out, clothesline me, or ram me up into a tree to shatter my leg. No, but if I pointed them back at the barn, they're like, okay, now I'm with you, you know? Trust and obey. You know, they're ready to, they're, we're ready to follow Jesus right back to the barn because where the barn was is where their treasure was, and that's all those oats. They were fine with Jesus. They're fine with my will as long as it aligned with their fat will. That's all they cared about. And so they would run back to the barn. Right? Now, which kind of a horse are you? Are you like the war horse of Job that laughs in the face of fear? It's not compelled by anxieties, and arrows can whiz past your face, and threats, and enemies, and, and, and scandal, and slanders, and your reputation's on the line, your money is on the line, your future is on the line, your health is on the line, but you have blinders on. All you see is the will of King Jesus. You're seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Well, if that's you, that's how to be happy. That is the heart of someone who is happy, even in the middle of war. And, you know, if you're honest with ourselves, we're much more like that other horse, though, aren't we? Yeah, much like that other horse. But I hope by, this, by the Word of God here and the preaching of the Word of God and by your prayers and over time, as we submit to the meek Jesus under his heavy, you know, light yoke, that he will teach us as a church how to be meek. Because we need to be meek, not only as individuals, but we need to be meek as a church to know where he would have us to go and what he would have us to do corporately. Amen?
Amen. It's the meek who are going to be happy. Let me show you one other verse here. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 19. The meek also shall increase their, say that word with me, joy in the Lord. You want to know the secret to happiness? Trust in Jesus and his law and his word without exception to the very detail every day of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, by grace through faith. And, and let him guide you and let, you, let him lead you. The Bible says that he guides the meek. He guides the meek. How, does he, how do you guide a stubborn mule? Only with goading. That's not how we want to live. That's not happiness. Right? The meek shall increase their joy in the Lord. Amen. Now, um, I'll just close with this story. The greatest story of horse training that I've ever come across is an ancient story, um, and it's the story of Alexander the Great and Bucephalus, his mighty war stallion. It's a great story. Most uh, elementary kids or junior high kids read it. And, and Bucephalus was a mighty, massive, beautiful stallion, but he was deemed untrainable, untamable, about to be sent to the glue factory or whatever the ancient equivalent of that was. But Alexander the Great... He saw his potential, he saw his majesty, his power, and he thought, wow, if only I could tame that power and that strength. If only it could be harnessed and aimed in the right direction. It's kind of like raising sons, right? Some of you know. Don't break their spirits, guys. Harness them, bridle them, and train them to, to exert that strength for the kingdom of heaven. We need all of the wild, black sheep little boys that we have in this church. Amen? Yeah, we need every single one of them because we need people who are meek and fierce for the kingdom of heaven. So we're just channeling that. We don't break their spirits. We don't try to make them act like girls or, or try to be anything other than boys, being strong and being courageous, but according to the laws of King Jesus. That's what we need. And Alexander the Great wanted to train that horse, Bucephalus. All the trainers said, no, it's... It's of no use. He's impossible. We've tried all of our tricks. We've beaten him senseless, and he will not listen. His father, Philip, told him, don't try this. All you're going to get out of this is a broken neck. But Alexander was implacable. He had to try because he had noticed something. Every time he saw the trainers working with the horse, he noticed that the horse was scared of something. He was afraid of his own shadow. That's right. That's right. He was afraid. He's afraid of something that couldn't ultimately hurt him. And that fear would compel him to not be compliant, not to be obedient. That fear would override him, and, and so he, he couldn't and wouldn't do the right thing. And so, therefore, he was useless and fruitless, about to be sent off to the glue factory. So Alexander the Great, what did he do? Did he have him just simply ride off you know, into the sun everywhere he went so he'd never see a shadow? No, no. God's not about escapism. God's about victory. And so Alexander the Great, he had that horse stare at his shadow. But while he stared at his worst fear, the thing that he thought would destroy him, the thing that he thought, I cannot go this way, I cannot go this way because of that shadow right there. That right there will ruin me, and so I cannot obey. He had him look at that shadow, and he spoke to him comfortingly and gently, petting him, grooming him, feeding him by hand, right? Yeah. An easy yoke, a light burden, right? Comforting. 
you know, not breaking his spirit, but convincing him over time by his word and by his gentleness and by his goodness that there was no need to fear the shadow. That what he needed, if he was going to be useful and fruitful and happy, was to trust the master. And so at one point in the training, while Bocephalus was staring at the shadow, Alexander leaped onto his back and began to ride. And that's when the horse went from immature to mature, right? From a a baby to an adult, to being useful and fruitful. And and he rode that horse, Bucephalus, in his global conquest. Um, Alexander the Great was not the king of kings, obviously. Uh, His mother told him that he was. That's part of the problem. um, But he died. He died at the age of 33, probably from a mosquito. Not the king of kings. But Jesus is the king of kings. And the earth has been given to him, the whole earth. All authority and power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It is all his. He owns the title deed. He is the king over all of it. And he is currently in human history taking possession of that land. And you can be his bocephalus. You can ride with him into battle. If you would, instead of listening to your fears, and listening to your intuition and your gut and your experience and your tradition, listen to him and do what he says. If you suffer with him, even the shadows of this life, you will share in his glory, he says. If you would be meek, you can ride out with him in conquest and you can inherit the earth in space and time and at the end of human history ultimately to the uttermost. Wouldn't you like that? You know, Bocephalus in the south, you know what you call a Bocephalus in the south? You know what that word is in southern? It's Bocephus. That's what I'm saying. Be a Bocephus for Jesus. That's what I say. All right, let's all stand. Bocephus for Jesus. Don't forget it. Let's pray. Father, we know that there are no virtues that can be conjured up from within. But we do ask for your gift of meekness by your Spirit. Grant to us meekness, perhaps for the first time, but certainly help us to cultivate it and grow in it in our life that we might be useful. And Father, help us not on account of fear to be meek to the world or to public opinion or to opinion polls or peer pressure or the spirit of the age. Help us to be black sheep for the kingdom of heaven. Meek to you, but not weak to the forces of darkness. Help us to do this as families, as individuals, and help us to do this as a church that we might enjoy and live long and prosper in this land with you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.